Are you mm -hmm. chewing chewing gum or fruit snacks or what is <laughs> I'm it? I'm chewing that? gum. You want me to ditch it? I would appreciate it. <laughs> you are sassy today. <laughs> me? You are very sassy today, Padre. Well, and I can hear my echo through your computer. What? <sighs> okay, well, that may be... Guys, yeah, this uh, this remote podcast uh, sound quality through literally thousands of miles is not good enough for me. Hey, you have to make it better. <laughs> <laughs> We're in Asia right now. <laughs> that is pretty, pretty amazing. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. Following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. What have you been filling up your days with? Oh, dude. I it's been the trip in general thus far has been pretty freaking cool, but also just like like unbelievably like normal mm. at the same time like the culture is shocking in some aspects to see and not like in a bad way it's just so different um but i just never been around anything like it and even like going down to the church in the nativity so birthplace of jesus Dude, people, like, there's so many different, like, languages and groups that just pack in to that place. And, uh, you know, so you just get, like, you get distracted by that. And I did a holy hour there today. And honestly, just took, like, probably the bulk of the holy hour just to, like, reflect on the different people coming through. And it's super moving to see them praying at that spot and everything. But, uh... It's just, I mean, it is not, at the same time, it's not like a mystical experience at all, at all. You're saying yeah, because I, of that. And I'm sure, Father, if you can remember your time, well, did you actually visit Bethlehem? Yeah, yeah, we visited twice. You got to, okay, you get mm -hmm. to come to the church in the nativity? Yeah. With the little yeah. hunched so over you, door that I mean, you have to go through. Yeah, the humility, the door of humility. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's this constant reminder, which I, and you can forget about when you're, when you're reading scripture and thinking about the Holy Land only in terms of like the biblical language or the biblical narrative, you forget that, um, like time is, it's still present. Time is still active. Time is still acting on these places, which means that like the cultures are shaping and changing and, um, I mean, the people in some way are the same, but they also come in like dressed super hip and have modern hairdos and have cell phones all over the place at the place of Christ's birth. And so like Christianity is never outside of time. Mm. And so you come to these places and expect them to be these like ancient old civilizations and look really old, but... Yeah, I mean, Bethlehem is just visiting here has just been, um, it's so, it's really strange. You mm -hmm. just walk down the market and you want to look at all the people and, um, and then driving around and visiting all these other different sites that we have, 
um, yeah, it's it's really tough to describe. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's really tough to describe. Uh, I thought Brimmer put it well. We had lunch with him the other day, and he said it's just the tension of the ordinary and the extraordinary, all all wrapped in the one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just being open to the Lord, working within that, uh, it's fun, but it's it's not what you expect. That's Col- not what I expected. Culture-wise, I will. This I haven't told Mess this story yet, but uh, before we kind of dive in, maybe too much to like the certain holy sites and stuff that we've seen. But uh, me and Isaac Coulter today went and like prayed a little bit at the Nativity Church, and then ran and got a couple other things. And we were coming up like this back street, and um, obviously there's a ton of like when we visit Bethlehem there's a ton of Arabic being spoken like all over the place. And oh my gosh, we're coming up and all of a sudden, like around this corner, this kid, he's probably 10 just comes like dude hauling ass, like as fast as he could down this street. And we're like, Hey, what's going on? And we get up maybe like another, like we kind of go around the bend and then we see like 20 yards farther up. It is an older sister I mean, I just I knew the scene because it took me back to my childhood so much. And so this girl was probably like, I don't know, probably like 20 years old. And she had two. It looked like 12 year old boys. And she literally had them by like the shirt, like the <laughs> shirt collars. And she was in their ear dude like screaming at them but it wasn't i know for a fact it wasn't their mom because they were like jawing back with her but like in a total like fearful but like weirdly confident way of like trying to say like how they were in the right and i was like dude that that's my childhood (laughs) that is literally how i grew up so so it's been cool like the culture aspect is just um i mean obviously especially in bethlehem I mean, a lot of um, a lot of Muslims, and that's been cool to like talk to them on the streets. And um, yeah, I've never had like that type of exposure to to like Muslim people. Um, and so that's been that's been actually been a, a very cool grace that I wasn't really expecting. Um, but it's, that's been cool. Yeah. Yeah, I told you guys my favorite part yeah. of the whole old city in Jerusalem was the Muslim quarter. Not my favorite part, but if I was bored one day and wanted to go for a walk, I would definitely go through that spot because especially at certain times of days, it was it was always so busy and full of those kind of scenes of just, you know, raw human families, mothers, children, men mm-hmm. selling things. And the other the other streets seemed a little less full of people. And a little bit more like, I don't know, buttoned up and proper, but that it was just culture on display, you know, people not, not ashamed to punish their children in public, for instance, you know, like, <laughs> like that. It's kind of fun to, to just see people live their lives in, in this normal, like, like yeah, like you're saying that it's ordinary, but it's extraordinary, especially to us who are not from that culture and haven't seen, you know, buildings that old ever, you know? It's just yeah. crazy, like the old city of Jerusalem. Just these walls—they're like, oh, these are the. This is the new gate. It was built like mm-hmm. five hundred years ago. Like, oh, that's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the newest thing here. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very true. I mean, the uh, 
like we got on Saturday, we had a um, a tour of the Nativity Church in Bethlehem. I mean, it was just like just a, a fabulous place just to go and see. Like you can still see the original mosaic floor from like like the fifth century. And you hear these just incredible stories of like the original mosaics had um, had the wise men on there. And so then when the Persians sacked Bethlehem, they destroyed all the churches except for the nativity church because they looked up at the mosaics and saw like people that looked like them on there. And so they like thought it was some kind of something with their culture. So they didn't tear it down. And um, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's, that, that stuff is like very, very cool. But uh, one thing kind of a, it's th- something I've learned over here that it was just like an interesting concept which was just getting a notion of within nativity, the idea of like the birthplace and being in a cave and like how that would have, so we've heard a lot about how it would have been common at that time for them to like build a house over this cave and then they would use the cave as like a garage or to hold the animals or whatever. So our guide, and I don't know, I've never heard this before, maybe I should have, but um, so I don't know how it like stacks up in a scholarly way. But he was saying like one way to read the scripture would be that like they were staying with family. The Holy Family was staying with some sort of kin and it was just too crowded of a house for Mary to give birth in private. And so they would have gone down like where it was warm and where it was kind of secluded from the other people for her to give birth. Um, so I don't know, just like stuff like that and like the images and the landscape and the fact that you can see Bethlehem from Jerusalem and you can see Jerusalem from Bethlehem. Um, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, yeah, the, uh, the ordinary mixed with the extraordinary is, is, is honestly the way to put it because, yeah, even my prayer has been, I, I don't know, like it's, it's thought a lot about, uh, ordination and, um, it's just been very much like, it's just one of those, you know, I think when you're on like an authentic pilgrimage, like you somehow feel closer to home than when you left even like home hasn't home hasn't left me being over here, which I think is just like testament to, to it being a pilgrimage and not a vacation. Um, so it's been cool. Hmm. Have you yeah, found, have you found the food to be? Oh, the food is good. Oh, it's been great so far. Falafel sandwiches. Whoo. Five shekel. That's yeah. like, you know, a buck fifty, maybe a buck sixty, for these delicious falafel sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Oh man, they're amazing. Just the little street vendors right there. It and it's always fun being abroad. And um, I agree. I like being in another country. Mm-hmm. It's it's particularly fun and I think safe. Like you you just you feel like you have people watching out for you because we're with the seminary and there's 40 of us that are yeah, you know, generally speaking doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of that, like to, to hammer on the ordinary and the extraordinary point just a little bit more is, uh, been keeping a journal over here of events of the day, which has actually been a very big grace. 
because I've noticed that, I mean, if I were to tell you what we did the past couple of days, I don't know if I would be able to distinguish one day from another because they just blend together. Oh my gosh, that's my life um, right now too, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if I, yeah, if yeah, you ask me what so I did you yesterday. Keep a journal. I try to. I do. What did you do yesterday? How's life? Yeah, how's life in Blue Island? Oh, yesterday, uh, yeah, I had a full day. It was Sunday yesterday, so I got up and said the 8 a.m. Mass. Then I went to our mission church and did the 10 a.m. Mass. Then I came back and our school had an open house, which was very well attended, and I've got a few families trying to sell on sending their kids to the school. So I was at the open house for a while chatting showing people around the school and you know all the teachers were there and stuff for parents to see the classroom yeah it was good it was a very big success and then after that uh, i greeted people after the 12 a kid wanted a letter of recommendation was happened sometimes where uh well so you get the letter of recommendation request and it's oh i need it in two days and yeah uh, I remember doing like asking for that, yeah. And I'm totally fine with doing it, but I also the the dad in me is like, uh, this kid needs a sit down. You know, I'm going to give you your letter, but you have to sit through a lecture. Yeah. Um, and the mom even asked me to. This happens also sometimes where parents are at their wits end, and they're like, Father, can you just uh, can you just talk to my child about listening to me, <laughs> basically like doing what I say. So I normally don't do that, but I know this kid pretty well, so I. Had a little sit down with him, uh, with his mom sitting outside the office, and I gave him a his letter. And then a guy came in. This is actually really cool. A guy came in uh, who missed a RCIA class, and so I did just did a little one on one catch up for an hour talking about sacraments. Um, and this guy's got a really cool story. Uh, he's gonna get baptized. He's gonna get all the sacraments and. He grew up, grew up basically with no faith, kind of a rough background, and I uh, don't want to get too into the details, but it has been an awesome experience for him being in RCIA. And you see this sometimes with certain people, they just really hook into it, like it's really well-timed. And, you know, I assign them to read four chapters of the gospel every week, and uh, he actually does it, and he's like talking about his experience. It's like the first time he's ever opened a Bible, any any of this stuff, and it's just like the Holy Spirit's working in him big time, so that's really wow. cool. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to get him married in church, get him all three sacraments of initiation in April. So that's a cool thing. Then I had a bunch of hospital calls, which I went over. And then um, but one, the room number wasn't right or they didn't mean to ask for a priest. They wanted a social worker. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to say a prayer. And then the other one was guy in critical condition and they they were like oh sorry father we actually called our priest he's coming a little bit later we can we want to wait for him to do the anointing i was like fine and then the nurse grabs me and she's like uh actually this is a really busy day we have a lot of families in here do you want to can we just check to make sure that the you know i don't want to have you go back to the church and then call you like 20 minutes from now that a family wants prayer so i went around and basically met with every family that was in there which was like three or four uh with people Mm -hmm. in the icu and then came back and made a latte in my new espresso machine. I guess I can remember my day pretty well. I sat Dude, there. You're doing a spectacular. Are you reading out of a journal? <laughs> no. Addendum, how is the espresso machine working out, dude? The espresso machine is working out excellently. 
Um, mm. I, I meant to accentuate the fact that there's no X in espresso. Um, yes, you did a good job. Thank did you. Did I say X? That was that must have been the internet. <laughs> yeah, you did, yeah, you did. You did an especially good job. <laughs> Thank you. I thought you might ask me about Ex- it later. Exceptional. Did I did? Um, nice job. I love it. Ice. <laughs> yeah, it's probably my every afternoon. At least I make I make an espresso, but. Um, it was one. Of, it's also a nice little light at the end of the tunnel because that was a lot of stuff right in a row with no real break and not really eating anything. That was that. Was, Sundays are the worst eating days, dude. Oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I don't even want to say what I ate yesterday. Anyways, I didn't eat much, and then I. I'm so <laughs> Then I uh, had a seven o'clock. I called my mom while I drank my coffee. Um. And then I had, I did like evening prayer, a little bit of a holy hour, and then got ready to say mass at seven at a place that's like a half an hour away. This guy's by himself and he's got tons and tons of masses. So helping him out with one of them and got back. Well, and then I was driving back and I realized I am really, really hungry and there's a white castle right there. So I proceeded to Boom, eat, baby. Eat, eat six sliders, jalapeno sliders, <laughs> which I regretted this morning. <laughs> oh god I do gotta say in your defense if I can speak for you in your defense that is a an action packed day man mm-hmm. holy smokes that's Sunday for you well priests only work one day a week so it's not that bad JK totally Laws. that's what I'm banking on and they don't pay us enough even though I'm not a priest I'm actually I was thinking about this question because uh, not to be too controversial all the stuff that's going on here did you you've, have you been hearing about what's going on here in the u.s while you're gone um all, all assuming you're talking about trump trump the women's march the march for life uh yeah. now this mm-hmm. now this new immigration exit executive order and all this stuff people are in a tizzy um but there was i went over to the school the other day uh to make a little video advertising the open house and the kids were reading some article about the women's and men's soccer teams and how they make different amounts of money, even though the women are better and they've won more championships and they should make the same amount of money. And um, have you ever heard that argument? That was big in the news a few years ago when the women won the heard World it. Cup. Heard it, yeah. yeah. And I was, I was trying to explain to him like how, do you, how a person makes money um, is by providing a service that people want and then like how good you are at a thing or how educated you are or or whatever matters in terms of your advancement in terms of making money but ultimately like you have to choose a field like for instance I, I was thinking about myself like I have um six years of higher education on top of a bachelor's and I work you know six to seven days a week and I make not you that have mu- seven years and I don't make by very the way. M- oh yeah that's right seven years I do not make very much money and I won't tell you how much I make, but not a lot. Whereas I have friends who with only a bachelor's degree who work five days a week, uh, who make much more money than I do because they work, they work in field. Like I didn't go into the priesthood to make money, nor do I imagine people go into, you know, Olympic or world cup soccer for the money. They go in because they are want to be champions, you know? And, um, but why was I talking about that? Going over to the school, Oh, all the stuff that's going on here with this, all this stuff with like arguing about, um, I don't know. 
the gender and the politics and the uh i just feel like everybody's so so divided right now it's it's crazy i mean it's it's interesting hearing you guys talk about you know being around muslims and stuff and because uh, i found the holy land to be even though israel is like this big hotbed of you know political strife and i you know all these groups and races and religions that are in conflict but i found that people got along pretty well over there uh mm-hmm. you know at least on a day-to-day and you, i mean you float above it as a tourist you don't really know what people right are. but you, you i mean we talked to people people they brought in speakers jewish muslim palestinian israeli um and maybe they maybe they just grew up used to a lot of conflict and and difficult stuff and any husky it's been a it's been a wild one over here yeah that sounds like it it's it's interesting to hear people over here uh in the holy land talk about the political situation back home and like i mean we get a little bit of it here and there but not really interested in it while being over here on pilgrimage so to come to the holy land and to hear from you know, a Palestinian or from um, an Israeli situation back in the United States. It's just, it's a bizarre thing. And like hearing their opinions on Trump and on um, politics globally. It's so weird um, going to a different country and people are more well-versed in your your news cycle than you are about your president yeah, and what's going true. on. It's crazy. Mm. Although, I mean, yeah, I... I don't know. I guess I'm surprised, and this is also um, just the realization that like these holy sites are not outside of time, and they have their own conflicts, modern conflicts that are very much alive and real right now. Um, and of course, they have like all of these holy lands, religious motivations behind a lot of the conflicts. Um, but the modern, like the situation right now in the holy land is on the tip of everybody's tongue. It's on the front of everybody's mind. And so we've heard a lot about mm-hmm. um, the Palestine-Israeli situation, the occupation, the settlements um, and whatnot, the injustices, the settlements and all these different things. And I'm, and Rob and I have talked about it quite a bit, but like I think we're both pretty surprised at the amount, uh, just the volume of content that we're getting uh, regarding the actual modern the the conflict on the ground right now. Um, Is Father Ben over there? Interesting. With you? I mean, he left today. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, he left. Yeah, he knows. Mm-hmm. He knows yeah, a lot about that been. stuff. <clears throat> yeah, dude. Him and Father Webb. We have, I mean, tons of like we've had multiple guest speakers come in or go to like we went to one of the seminaries over here and heard a lecture from their rector and. But it's interesting. I think I've heard every different um, every different perspective and every different opinion on it coming from even from this population of people. Like some people say, "Oh, the Christian Palestinians are treated so well," and then others are like, "Oh, no, 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 we're treated terribly." And then the Muslims are treated terribly, and like, "Oh, no, it's just Palestinians as a whole." So I've heard like Muslims and Christians get along great. And then another person says, no, Muslims and Christians do not get along great. They just get along for the sake of Palestine, but they actually like dislike each other. So I have no idea. I'm just kind of in receiving content mode. 
Amen, dude. That's I, I feel like that's what I'm always in. And that's that's kind of why uh, I felt like I needed to say something to those kids when they were, you know, the teacher just mentioned like, oh, this we're talking about this interesting article, Father. What do you think about the, the women's soccer thing? Because it's so easy in in the way that media is produced and consumed to just be like, oh, well, this is the case. And, I, you know, it makes sense to me. And so, the, I mean, it does make sense. Like you are doing the same exact thing. You're playing soccer. And in fact, you're doing better relative to the competition in your league. Why are you making less money? The sort of like equality of outcome thing. Um, whereas I, what I was trying to say to the kids, not like to argue because that point is a particularly important one about the soccer teams and the money, but like to to just be able to think like, well, is there a reason, you know? Uh, I don't know everything. This article hasn't like hasn't given me all the information I need to make a judgment on the rightness or wrongness of anything, you know, Um, because that's what I feel like we do. We just snap to to some kind of conclusion or judgment about something as hugely complex and 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 historically nuanced as the Israel-Palestine conflict. And people just say like, well, this is what I think about all that. And then when you actually go into it and you people don't even agree, uh, you know, on the ground with each like uh, you ask one Palestinian one thing and they say this and the other one the, and they say the opposite. You know, it's like, who are we living all these thousand miles away reading one New York Times opinions article to like make a judgment about what's right, you know, or why things are the way they are. And, uh, you know, in terms of the conflicts over the, I mean, I think it's just na- human nature that people fight and they argue and are territorial and everything. Even the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, when you get to Jerusalem, they have to have a Muslim open the door every morning and lock it every night because the Christians <laughs> the Christians can't agree. They can't, like, who you know, who's going to get the key? The Orthodox or the Catholics or the Armenians? They're like, just give it to a Muslim. We can't. They just fight so much. <laughs> and, like, it seems like every Easter That's... there's some kind of broom fight between the priests. And you're like... You it, guys are all it is Christian. So scandalous. I know. It's like, yeah. The same which thing happens Easter, between, by the way, or which Christmas, by the way. There's multiple Christmas and Easter celebrations within so, the mean, Christians in the Holy Land. It's just like it happens in everybody's family too. You know, like somebody did something some at some point, and now things are the way they are. And this, you know, this person's not talking to that person, and blah 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 blah, and. uh you know, and we get worked up about these these little things or big things, and uh, I'm not just saying like, hey, can't we all just get along? Because I'm I think that's Pollyannish and stupid. But at the same time, like your your point about information gathering, that was how I felt when I went over there. It's like I don't know anything, uh, so I'm interested in this. You know, like these are human people with with stories and and struggles and desires and dreams and everything. I want to know their story, but. Uh, but I also always, I, I just have a habit of skepticism. Whenever I hear anybody say anything, uh, like with enough authority or enthusiasm, like this is the way it is and I'm right. And like that's, that's compelling. Um, but I always have this doubt that like, well, there's, there's another side to every, literally every story, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it's been particularly frustrating over here because, it's everybody has told me the classic line of like, Oh, you're only going to get more confused. Right. The more the trip goes, you know, learn, you're going to learn more. 
and have it be like less clear what you think about it or what the conclusion is. And I, it's a frustrating end to be working towards. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And it may be true, mm-hmm. but I don't like that. How can it be that the more information that I learn, the more confused that will be? But it, that, I mean, that's something that's pretty consistent with humanity. I, things are, they get messy. And I mean, you're talking about the oldest civilizations in the world. The land that's been historically the longest. I think for me, it's been the biggest illustration in that is a line that uh, Father Bamus said when we were still at Mundelein, one of the very first days. And he's talking about the complexity of like this this particular land and kind of how we're going to look at the present situation and um, move through it in a pilgrimage like focused on the person of Jesus, but also like the land itself and how that is impacted. But his, his point in that, in the complexity of it was, and I think his line was like, you have to allow history to be as like, as complex as everyday life is right now. And I thought that was such a good line because it just opened, I mean, I have no like formal education in history besides like, the seminary to be like a good reader of history and know how to like gather that appropriately in order to understand like a present situation. Um, but it was just, it was fascinating that like, not only is it impossible to know like the nuances and the complexities of the right now, but it's also impossible to know the complexities and the nuances a hundred years ago and 400 years before that, and 1,000 years before that. And that's like the time scale that you're talking about. And so it is. It just keeps opening up. And, yeah, it is Yeah, I mean, it is daunting. I, I think that that's a really, really good point. And that's always what bothered me learning history was like people would, you know, you'd read in a textbook or a teacher would say, like, this is what life was like in Europe in 1200 or 1500 and you're like okay you're talking about a hundred year period basically a century and an entire continent i couldn't describe what one day in blue island is like for a typical you know Mm -hmm. because it's everybody's there's so many people here doing different things and having different lives and i mean you can you can talk about numbers and population or statistics and stuff like that but uh yeah i guess that's that's it. Like everything is so, I think that that, that statement of the more you learn, the more confused you'll be. And that's a frustrating end to get to. That's kind of what I'm feeling about life now. I mean, there's, there's certain important things that I get more and more sure of every day, like that God exists, that Jesus is his son and he came to save us from sin and death. Uh, and obedience to God's will is the way to liberation and happiness. And, uh, but at the same time, like the more people you meet and the more stories you hear and, and the more work you do and the more failures and successes you experience, the more you're just like, well, all I can really, you know, you read, you read about an executive order and you're like, well, I can't, I literally can't do anything about that, nor do I have enough information as to like judge, uh, you know, what, what is the best course of, I mean, it's so easy to, to kind of knee jerk say like that's wrong or that's right or 
you know, that's so inhumane to all these refugees in abroad, especially Syria. But and then the other side is saying like, well, this is, you know, we got to keep America safe and, and all this stuff. And I don't want to get too into that whole thing because it's a minefield. But right. I, I sort of feel like, yeah, but what am I like talking to that guy um, who had never read the Bible before, who's not baptized and who's experiencing like authentic conversion. And I do have a role in that. Like I have played a part, however small in God's plan for that guy's life, um, which he's experienced some like real trauma and is now coming out of it and being able to deal with it. And, um, that I feel like I can't, that, that is much more important to me at least. Uh, and that's just like the nitty gritty everyday life. And, and it's, it's a question of impact, you know, like that, I think for our generation, uh, we look at a problem like as intractable as, Israel Palestine or or terrorism or immigration or or any like any of these things where the the roots of the problems and the and the possible solutions are so ambiguous and and hard to pin down and we're like how do you fix this and since there's no easy way to fix it we're just like we'll just make up something that we think is the solution or 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 something and I was just reading this article in Wired reminded me of um, what we're talking about, about this neighborhood in San Francisco called the Tenderloin. It's in the most recent Wired uh, magazine, which I subscribe to. And it was talking about how like all these tech companies in San Francisco are really causing like huge gentrification in some of the more historically poor and working class areas of, of San Francisco and driving up rent and, and basically pushing any normal people out mm-hmm. that aren't, aren't making six figure salaries working for Twitter or some app company, you know? And so there's this kind of conflict between like old San Francisco and this new money. And, uh, there was this, there's this church. It's kind of a secular church. It's just run by this guy and his wife that does a lot of social outreach and has for since, since the sixties basically. And it's been very, very progressive with, uh, you know, like reaching out to the gay community during the AIDS crisis and the dr- and drug addicts like doing needle exchanges to help them, you know, be safer with uh, their intravenous drugs and things that are kind of controversial because you're like, oh, you're aiding and abetting drug use, basically. But it does cut down on all these diseases and everything. Like they do a lot of good social work um, that's kind of on the edge. And they say that they, um, in this article, is kind of uh, showing how, these young tech people are coming in to volunteer a lot of the a lot of the companies because it's such a pr nightmare how they've how they've driven up rent and driven out people from their city they're trying to help especially in this poor district where there's just people out sprawling on the streets shooting up in public and and uh so the tech people will come and they'll be like you know do you have any stats on whether this social program this needle exchange you know really you know, cuts down on HIV transmission or like how much does this social program get people into jobs or, or blah, blah, blah. And the, and the people who've been doing this stuff since the sixties are like, I mean, I don't, I'm not offended by the question, but it just doesn't really make sense in the work we do. You know, like there's no ROI, there's no return on investment analysis on like spending your time doing this work because it can be maddeningly inefficient. For instance, there's one guy who's probably never, you know, here's a guy who can probably never work. He's mentally ill. He's an addict. He's chronically ill. He's got a 
you know, some sickness where he needs to go to the doctor, but he can't get to the doctor. So you, you're having to take him to the doctor. You're having to fill out paperwork for him. Uh, you're having to go to the pharmacy to get his medicine, making sure he takes his medicine, finding a place for him to sleep. And to what end? Like, you're not, you're not getting this guy out of poverty. You're just keeping him alive, basically. You're just saying, this guy deserves to live, even though he can basically do nothing for himself and has no one else to help him. And the tech people, that, that's the kind of situation where tech people are like, well, you know, is there some app we can create that will, like, <laughs> leverage a tiny bit of effort to just, like, solve all the world's problems? And, uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that that stuff is wrong, but it does seem like in our, I, cause I, we talked about this before with millennials. I'm the same way in my parish. Like, what can I do? What's the, what's the silver bullet to like get everybody on board with Catholicism? Everybody start coming to adoration, you know, uh, going to confession, uh, coming back to mass, reaching out, evangelizing their family members, you know, doing, doing work in the volunteering in the community, the food pantry and everything. Like, how do you get just like, your parish buzzing in no time. And what I'm finding out is that it's just like one person at a time, a lot of labor and time that's not all that efficient. Like, uh, but it's, that's just the work of life, you know? Does that make sense at all with your experience over there? Very, very much. Very much. Yeah, very much. We still hear you over here in the Holy Land. Don't worry. Um, yeah, the thing that keeps coming to mind is I was actually saying something a little bit earlier just when we were talking about the mix of ordinary and extraordinary and journaling, and um, we kind of changed topics, but it, it works perfectly because what I was surprised about this evening as I'm journaling here, um, Rob and I, we live for a roommate, so we usually just kind of like talk about the, the day as we're going to bed or whatever. And just be staring, and inevitably, like almost every night, one of the things that I'll giggle at, or just like looking back and enjoying something, happen, will almost always be just a simple interaction that a friend of mine and I had. Um, that it wasn't like the holy sight that is making me laugh or being nice moment for me going ahead or. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's a big moment in prayer, but almost every night it's a very simple conversation or a very simple interaction with a classmate, with a friend. It was, it was so great. It was so special and so unique. Um, and it was so super ordinary, but like that's part of the grace that comes into it. The things are always going to be personal. And I think a big insight just being over here in the Holy Land is like those interactions and those encounters with the Lord, they can be done anywhere because you go and how different the cultures are. Like humans are going to be humans and people are going to be people. And the Lord is, is a person. Thanks be to God. Uh, and so the, you don't, it rocks to be here in the Holy Land, but you don't have to be here to to have that real deal interaction. Um, and it, and just two other things that I was thinking of to drive home the point is we've had Father Bama over here in class, and he has been so awesome. Like, was one of the biggest chances of being over here is just how much I've enjoyed him. Um, I was actually really sad that he left today, but he was talking. 
about uh, and really it was when Protestantism started to grow you know, it was when the enlightenment started hey Mike can grow. you pause for it? can you pause for a second your, yeah. your uh, connection is really bad I'm getting like five seconds of good connection and then it'll break up mm-hmm. and, I, and I miss half of what you say uh, you, can you get any closer to a router or something relax hearing Hearing you, Bisk, it like has been very good. Huh? Yeah, you're pretty clear, man. Oh, you sound. You guys sound good now. All right, keep okay. going with your thought, Mike. Um. Yeah. So, Bame, Father Bama was talking about um, when the Enlightenment was starting to come over to the United States. That uh, the reason that it didn't impact the states as much as it did Western Europe was because of Harvard and Yale, which I did not expect. But essentially these bastions of orthodoxy that were intellectual powerhouses that were able to combat the false ideas that enlightenment, um, the French revolution was presenting and able to actually combat that on an intellectual level and the story that he was telling essentially was they equipped their clerics, their people who started the churches, they equipped them with such a serious amount of knowledge and like a, a lived reality of what the Christian faith was that there were so many of them and they were so well equipped that as they started to go throughout the country and be in these different places, even in communities all on their own, um, that the church was living and present within them because they had the faith carried within them, not found in libraries, not found in like the physical church, but it was found in the, in the clerics themselves. Um, and of course he, he talked about that in regards to the church, that that's exactly why the church is so hard to kill when all these different government powers come and try to oppress and destroy church buildings um, you'll find underground seminaries and you'll find underground seminarians and you'll find the church, the faith being passed on, um, not necessarily through the physical books or through the actual edifices that are being built, um, but being passed on through people. Uh, I can't remember, what was the country, was it the Ukraine? That after the government had persecuted mm-hmm. Christians there, specifically the Catholic church, um, for a long time and they killed, I mean, tons of people and it sounded like a lot of priests, like it was a serious persecution and the Orthodox church. And like right as the government left and the oppression of religion was removed that like, I think he said like a hundred churches popped up mm-hmm. within, within a matter of like almost no time at all because the faith was being passed on and being lived interiorly by these people that it, that's why the church is so hard to kill, was Bama's point. And to to be in holy sites, like the Church of the Nativity Tour, um, to hear how all the faith and lived reality of the faith is passed on is 100%. It's always because the faith is alive, being lived and passed on person to person. And like so many different civilizations, so many different people, so many different mindsets and philosophies have come and 
dominated the Holy Land and tried to do whatever they will with it and take it over and make people believe this and And 2,000 years later, in a percent Muslim population in Palestine, like Bethlehem, still has where Jesus was born. And just to see that lived reality from 30, like our tour guide said, from 38 AD, so, I mean, 2007, we can come to the almost the exact spot where Jesus was born um, because throughout throughout the age, statues have been presented, but the people who have lived there. No, he talked directed there that were an attempt to like squash <laughs> squash Christianity. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Did did Helena and Constantine build the original nativity? No. And was and maybe not, but his. His story with it was like she or whoever this was came like wanting to know the church and the locals were like, oh yeah, it's right here. Like they knew the exact, like the exact, it was no question about it. It was like, oh, absolutely. Let me know you. And for like a hundred years before she came, somebody, I can't remember exactly who it was, but had directed like these big gods and put statues in there that were worshipped for their fertility and for their rhythm of like life and death, which of course are um, ideas around Christ and the nativity and the resurrection. So he was like, oh, if I put it here, then people will get confused and start worshipping these things over time. And as soon as he leaves and Helena says, where is it? They run exactly to the spot. And they're like, oh yeah, we've known the whole time. Yeah. Just right here, like hundreds of years of having other rulers and these other pagan gods presented just the people, the people on the ground know. And and so the the whole point of me telling all these personal stories about people is that, yeah, the faith is so personal and so human. Like that's, they're going to find it. Encounter Christianity in people. Um, and these instruments and these churches and these holy sites are and like even... Um, sensation like sensational places through which we can see christ and experience some of my biggest graces have been just my friends here um or some of the priests some of the homilies it's just people yeah because that's what's real you know like to the point of the the metrics and measuring impact and evaluating geopolitical affairs and trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong or what we need to do it's like at the end of the day, what's really real in all of those things, what all of those issues are made up of are human beings who are like the most mysterious objects in the entire universe. Um, but they're also the most charming and like another person is the only reason a person has to really live or love or, you know, if it's just, if you're just solving problems or, or puzzles or whatever, whether they're economic or or political, it's like, the only reason we form poluses in the first place uh, is because there are human beings and we want to live together, you know, and so we have to have rules. And uh, yeah, I'm reading Roger Scruton's book, Face of God. It's actually his Gifford lectures from a few years ago, which I listened. Nick Blaha gave him to me. But have you ever heard of Roger Scruton? He's a philosopher from England. No, he, I think nope. he's I think he's Catholic. He must be Catholic, but 
Um, it's a little bit kind of like Walker Percy's whole thing, like that the person uh, is sort of, it's, he doesn't say lost in the cosmos, but it's he calls it the view from nowhere. Like w- w- if the universe is made up of objects and like even another person is considered kind of an object of your universe, you you don't know where you are in the universe because you're just this point of view. You're this like black box of perception and feeling and intention and desire. Um, but you know that you do interact in the world of objects. Uh, but only persons can say I and you and ask questions like why. And his point is like there's no there's nowhere in the human body, whether it's the brain or or whatever, where like all of our mixed up fallen nature desires and concupiscence and sanctifying grace, where that stuff all enters into like the measurable world of the laws of physics. But we just know that it does, that the world has these strange creatures in it called human persons who make all the beautiful stuff, but also wreck it, (laughs) you know, also make the world ugly. If it were just, if it were just measurable things, like plants and gravity and rocks and mountains and and whatever fault lines like there would be no art there would be no meaning to it all but uh yeah like the simplest thing like your friend like that's what that's what you get at the end of the day even though you're learning more about israel and palestine you're learning more about the history of the holy land and um all this stuff it's like even like seeing people with cell phones at the church in the nativity, that seems like so anachronistic. You're like, what the, yeah, this place is still in time and there's still people here. You know, there's still Christians here after thousands of years. And, uh, you know, your story about the, the Greek gods and everything that they put on those, that reminds me of silence. Did you guys end up seeing that movie? Silence. Mets, I, I read the book. I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, I saw it. That's where the whole other conversation. Somebody emailed us about it. Um, but I, I thought that. Um, hey, send that email to me, by the, or send that email to us, by the way. I will. Uh, I identified most with the character Kichijiro, the guy who keeps betraying and and apostatizing, but then coming back. Um, hmm. You know, I hated that guy. Dude. I, well, I hated him in the book, but in the movie, I <sighs> loved him. But it's just like that that is to me like the, that's the human person. That's a much more uh sympathetic character than the priest who comes in there guns blazing and and thinks like um he's just going to like I don't know what he thought. It was basically to save that priest, right? To find out if he had really given up the faith. Liam Neeson's character. Um Dude, bear in mind spoilers here, okay? Yeah, bear in mind spoilers. Um Dude, the theater was packed with people. I went, we, I went downtown with with Tom Byrne, but really, it was packed on a Sunday night to see Silence. Cool, um, it was cool. But in any case, I just felt like, um, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much the ending. But I, I, as you did when you read the book, you, I think you mentioned this, Rob. Like it's it's kind of a just a not a good ending. Not just because we wish that the Christianity party had you know come out on top. But because it's sort of unbelievable to me that this priest would would capitulate like that and just like become part of the system that oppressed these people, you know, these people who were sincerely Christian and even died for their faith. Um, but the Kichijiro character, who even wants to go to confession at the very end when the priest has already given up his priesthood, and um, mm-hmm. you know, you're just like I 
I admire him a million times more than I admire this priest. Uh, hmm. You know, and I, I get that he yeah. that he did it out of compassion and this hugely conflicted conscience and everything like that, but um, there's just something much more endearing about the guy who who's trying, but he just can't hack it. Like he won't lie to himself about what the truth is. He just knows that he's hmm. a, he just knows that he's a failure and he's sorry. You know, yeah. no. <laughs> that's kind of how, how I, was I feel. Fucking with, um, I was walking today with uh, a buddy, and we were just talking about like this from this pilgrimage and what we got our canonical retreats coming up and um, what kind of graces we're hoping for there and uh, yeah, there's just been a huge emphasis to start the pilgrimage on the the incarnation and the nativity specifically and it's pretty cool how like it moves through like the life of jesus in general but that's where we've been you know i think um just emphasis and beginnings so far and he was just talking about like yeah just what he was hoping for and it was really cool because a line that really you know like kind of center of the whole cosmos like every we hold when God became man it's just this notion that, that I want to you Rob can you say that can you say that can you say that whole thing again almost all of it got blurbled oh shoot well long story short like this guy was just saying grace is kind of received and hoped for like it's just to be with you in, uh, that God wants to be with you? Yeah. Is that what you yeah, said? I will be with simple human notion that you experience in and Yeah, sorry dude. Like I'm just getting little blurbs. Almost nothing is coming through. Mm-hmm. I can still I can still hear you, but Shit. nothing is. It, for like five minutes, there was almost no uh, skipping. I don't know what you guys did, or yeah. if it was just by chance. Maybe if we just chill for a second, it'll um, be better. Been, I, other guys might be more guys might be on the internet now. Like, oh, that, um, here, just e- email me what you were gonna say, and I'll read it into the microphone. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Hang on, hang. On. <laughs> Got it. Um, well, try it one more time. Try it one more time. If, Third if time's not, a charm. Move on, but okay. Long story short, it was just we were talking about like graces received and shared, and I don't know. The line that really struck me with the sum up, like the whole thing, is just God saying to the world that I want to be with you in the incarnation, and like that's so deeply, at least accurate in my human experience is that when you love someone, you want to be with them. And I've experienced that in romantic relationships before seminary and dating someone. And I've experienced that with like friends, with family, is that you want to be with that person. Um, and I think that's just been striking too of like, yeah, before the Paschal mystery unfolds and before you get to... Uh, like Jesus' public ministry, the cross, the resurrection, that that notion 
is just like just that reality of I want to be with you. Um, and so even I, I was thinking about that, Beth, when you were talking about the like being attracted to that character who's just a wretch. Like I didn't in the book, at least I did not did not like him. Um, but I hadn't really thought about it in context, actually, of. Um, yeah, I mean, he he knows he knows who he is, and like we wouldn't hold him up as this model of virtue or anything like that. But um, I don't know. In the spiritual life, that's a pretty good place to start. Is like knowing knowing who you are, mm. anyway, and saying you're sorry. Yeah, one of the things that really struck me was how he said, "If if there was no persecution, if I was a Christian in any other time, I would have been a great Christian, but I can't. I'm just afraid. Is- I'm just afraid." I do remember that line. Yeah, I do remember that line. I yeah. Scorsese did a great job with that movie. Mm-hmm. He really did. I thought the little thing he yeah. added added at the end was cliche. Changed the whole face of the ending, and so in some respects, the meaning of the story. And I didn't like it. Other than that, other than the, like the last five seconds of the movie. I thought it was perfect to the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, if I could just describe my overarching feeling of being here and um, yeah, really like sum up my experience and a lot of these holy sites, which we've been to some really cool places. Marsaba. Whoa. Oh, that place is Mar- sweet. Oh, it's so sweet. Google oh. that place, people. It was amazing. It is tremendous. I mean that that was a it's a monastery that was founded in four hundreds, five hundred. I think four hundreds. Yeah. Did you guys get to go inside? We, we were did. Inside. Oh, did we didn't get to go inside. It, it was. It's like one of those things where it's whether the monks feel like it or not. We knocked on the door and they're like, "Nope." That's where Father Lodge broke his ankle. Oh, no. Yeah, walking down a step. Not only did they let us inside, they let us in their church, and then they let us into, no joke, they let us into the heart of the monastery where, like, legend has it that Marsaba saw the fire. Uh, That was the indicator of start the monastery here. Hmm. And they have the skulls of... Like 200 monks who were killed when the Persians took over. Martyrs. Yeah. Wow. Martyrs in 500 or 600. I don't know. Yeah, that would have been like that range anyway, yeah. somewhere in there. I mean, I was thinking Persians. 600s. Yeah. Yep. So mm-hmm. it, and they let us into the heart of that place. And Father Webb said he hasn't been in that room for 40 years. And Father Bama said he's never been in before. Hmm. They've they've literally never let it, people in since Father Bernie has been going on the pilgrimage. It was pretty legit. So, I'm being there. Wow, it just the desert, the Kidron Valley. Like this is a city built into a hill, and dudes are living in caves. And people have been actively living in this monastery for over fifteen hundred years, sixteen sixteen hundred years at least. Which means that the oldest thing in the United States, like the the oldest thing in my state of Georgia, is at least 
Well, Marsaba is at least six times older than the oldest thing. <laughs> On the East Coast of the United States. That's so, like, that's just absolutely remarkable. Yeah. And, well, so of all the things that we've seen and seen some really incredible stuff, and you're standing there and there's just deserts and hills, and then we, like, look up and there's camels and there's herders, like shepherds that are, um, shepherding their flock of sheep on the side of the hill and these camels with actually they they only have one hump so they're called um, dromedaries I think but it just I mean it's another that was like really stepping into another era which that was a, a pretty incredible experience to do um, but the whole sense for me if I could sum it up would be one of gratitude and just realizing um, how lucky we are to be out here and uh, to be in good facilities with really good people, um, really holy people, like good priests, good seminarians. We have a good class. And to have a ton of people back home praying for us, so anyone who's praying for us, thank you so much. Um, like what we're doing out here is super insane. And just so having a lot of peace and a lot of gratitude for the Lord is just being super good to us right now. Um, so just really coming and sitting with him in mm. gratitude for that. Funny story about Marsaba. This was the guide. This wasn't the monks that we were talking to, but he was saying that to this day, Marsaba does not have electricity, doesn't have power. And so I guess they, at some point, I don't know when, what year this would have been, but they were talking about like possibly bringing it there. And the decision was made by the monks not to. And I guess the reasoning was like, no, if you bring electricity, then like you're just one step away from getting a TV. Mm-hmm. And if you get a TV, then you're just inevitably, inevitably, inevitably going to get a phone. And like once you got a phone, dude, that's it. And he said, then you're letting the world into your living room. Then you're ro- letting you're like, the world oh, into wow. your living room. Oh, man. Yep. But I think they listen to Three Dogs North there somehow. I don't they know. somehow do, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, they I some... think they broadcast it over the minarets, don't they, at the at the hours of prayer? <laughs> I, it's in Arabic, yeah. which I don't speak. <laughs> translated. Yeah. Translated. No, I, think, I think so. I'm kind of flattered that they take it. the time to translate it, honestly. Or should mm-hmm. we make this? If you're listening right now in Israel over a minaret, thank you. Thank you. But we also might, if you're also listening to this, we might change it to, you're, you can only authentically listen to Three Dogs North if it's in English. Yeah, if it's in the original middle. It has to be in the original tongue. Second, mm. second millennium, mm. third millennium English. Third millennium English, that's it, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm okay with it. Well, I love that reflection that the incarnation, God wants to be with you. That's what I preached on on Christmas this year, and it's no more evident than where you guys are right now. I can't wait for you guys to go to Galilee. You're going to love that place. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so pumped, man. Yeah, so... So you're so one more week in your undisclosed location, and then you up to Galilee, to Nazareth? Yep. Sweet. Yep, go to Nazareth. That's right. Go to Nazareth. Yeah, then from Nazareth to Jerusalem. Very nice. Yeah. True pole of the earth. Well, I got to get going, but it has been, speaking of wanting to be with you, I want to be with you where you are. No, I'm happy where I am. But I do. uh, We miss you. I appreciate you guys making the time. 
Yeah, man. No, I, I think um, I, I like we're over the jet lag kind of in a routine. Obviously, like with we're going to be moving a little more frequently mm-hmm. now. Um, but we'll just keep you posted. I mean, I'd, I'd love to make it fairly regular, at least a few more times when we're over here. Yeah, at least. Well, the people are people are hungry for it. Is that what the writing in America is about? Uh, it might be. All this discord. Is it like this, just this underlying angst? Yeah. That they're just like kind of putting on politics. They would, no one would ever say it, but I think that is. It's safe to say that that's the reason. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.